there was a church that wasn't very generous. And so the preacher decided that it was time to do something drastic in order to teach the congregation the importance of giving. And he contracted an electrician and had all the seats wired. So the next Sunday was Pledge Sunday, and the preacher stood up and made an announcement and said, from now on, instead of putting your pledges in sealed envelopes and turning them into the church office, all the pledges are going to be made public during the worship service. And then he said, we're going to do it today. And I'm ringing up here a little bit. All of you who will pledge to give $10 a week, please stand up. And as soon as he said that, he pushed a button that the electrician had wired into the pulpit there and sent a jolt of electricity through all the chairs, and about half the people stood up. Okay? Preacher reached down and adjusted the knob and uh, turned it up a little bit and said, all of you who will give $20 a week, please stand. And a second jolt of electricity, a stronger jolt, went through and caused several more people to stand to their feet. And this process was repeated several times, and each time the pledge amount was raised along with the voltage, and the ushers had to work fast just to record all the names and pledges. It was working really well. So the preacher and the elders were busy adding up the totals and congratulating themselves on the great success of the annual stewardship came, uh, campaign. Their enthusiasm ended abruptly, however, when one of the elders came in and announced that four church members had been electrocuted because they refused to stand up. <laughs> we won't do that next week, but we'll talk about that later. Last week, we talked about tithing. A tithe is 10% of our income, and that 10% is God's. And when we withhold it, we are robbing God, according to Malachi 3. And God says we are under a curse. I cannot imagine more serious warning than that. So God challenges us to test him and see if he will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and bless us. Changes will happen if you trust God with the tithe. Now, two weeks ago, we gave an overview of God's teachings about money. Avoid debt, have a plan, teach your children, understand the danger of money, don't let money define you, and be aware of the final audit and things like that. So God is very interested in this subject and what we're going to do with our finances. Last Sunday, I had one person walk out, and uh, he scared me to death. He showed me a torn-up check, and he said this was supposed to go on the offering. And I thought, oh, man, he was really mad and got offended and wasn't going to put anything in. But he was smiling. He said, I tore this one up and wrote a new check for 10%. And he said, we're going to see what happens. He's going to trust God. And God will bless him. I know it. There's no doubt about it. But I also know a lot of people are scared to death about this tithing thing. It'll test your faith. So today I want to talk about the faith of giving. But before we test our faith, I want to test our knowledge. If you can correctly answer one of these six questions, you get an A and a free ticket to next week's worship service. Here's the question. Who is Shemua? Who is Shaphat? Who is Igal? Who is Palti? Who is the 15th president of the United States? And spell faith. It's not F-A-I-T-H. Hebrews 11 says, Faith is the substance. It is the essence. Without faith, we cannot be saved. Remove faith from a church. You live in fear and anxiety. Without faith, you cannot reach your potential. It takes faith to tithe. Hebrews 10 says, my righteous will live by faith. If he shrinks back, I will not be pleased with him. Most of the time in the Gospels, the people are amazed at this Jesus. They're amazed at his miracles and his teachings. When he calmed the storm, it says the disciples were amazed. But there's two times in the Gospel where it says Jesus was the one that was amazed. 
The first one's in Luke 7, 9. It's about a Roman centurion. He's a Gentile. And Jesus was going to his house to heal his servant. And the centurion said, I am not worthy to have you in my house. Just say the word and my servant will be healed. And it says, when Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him. And turning to the crowd following him, he said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. Second time Jesus was amazed, Mark 6, 5 and 6, in his hometown. He could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. He was amazed at their lack of faith. So the only two times Jesus was amazed was great faith by a Gentile of all people and lack of faith by his hometown. And if you've decided to test God and start tithing, it will test your faith. But it will also help your faith because you will experience some blessings and peace when you start trusting God. Now, faith isn't easy. It's natural not to live by faith. Uh, I'm sure questions have been asked in the past of this church. You know, can we really support that many missionaries at, at that amount? Is it even feasible that we could build this family life center? Are you people nuts? Do you know what it's going to cost? And probably the same questions were asked 40 years ago when the sanctuary across the alley was built. Can we really do this? Now, Maxine Downing is one of the long-term members here. And she brought in some notes from years ago that her husband had kept. And her husband's passed away now. But Maxine's been in this church forever. And here's what it was like in the good old days at MPCC. Her husband, Gene, writes, I recall that our piano needed to be tuned, but we only had half the needed money. Some felt we should borrow the money to tune a piano. That's interesting. But one conservative brother didn't want to borrow any money and felt we should tune half the piano now and later when we get more money, tune the other half. So we'll tell Logan when he gets back next week. We can afford to tune the whole piano, buddy. But the question today is, do we have enough faith to tune the whole piano? Do I have enough faith to bring the whole tithe to God? Numbers 13 is one of the classic passages on great faith and lack of faith. Israel was getting ready to go into the promised land, and they sent 12 spies in to check it out. And we, we used to learn a kid's song in Sunday school. 12 men went to spy on Cain, and 10 were bad, and 2 were good. Uh, some of you remember that. Now, who is Shemua, Shaphat, Igel, and Palti? Four of the 10, doubters. Before today, did any of you know who they were? Probably not, unless you were in Bible Bowl. Okay, have you heard of Joshua or Caleb? Yeah, most of us have. The people we remember are the ones who step out in faith. It's not the fearful ones. The first 16 verses of Numbers 13 are the names of the spies, and we're not going to read that because no one really cares who they are, uh, so we won't read that. I want to start in verse 17. It says, When Moses sent them to explore Canaan, he said, Go up through the Negev and on into the hill country. See what the land is like, whether the people who live there are strong or weak, few or many. What kind of land do they live in? Is it good or bad? What kind of towns do they live in? Are they unwalled or fortified? How is the soil? Is it fertile or poor? Are there trees in it or not? Do your best to bring back some of the fruit of the land. It was the season for the first ripe grapes. So the Israelites do their homework. They need to find out what are the opportunities and what are the dangers. Churches have to do this. What are the opportunities and what are the challenges or the obstacles? You have to do it before you make any big decisions. What's the lay of the land? What are the potentials here and what are the dangers? Going on, verse 25. At the end of 40 days, they returned from exploring the land. They came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. There they reported to them and to the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. So they do their job, scope out the land, 
uh, find out what kind of people are there. They see the abundance of the fruit as well. And they bring back a huge cluster of grapes. And they report back to Moses and people, uh, and the people. And tw- 10 of them dwell on the giants in the land, you know, the negatives. And, and they're dominated by doubt. It's too big of a challenge and we can't do it. Tw- two dwell on the possibilities. We can do it. God has promised us we can take this. They were the men of faith. That ratio, by the way, is probably not too far off. People of faith are almost always in the minority. In fact, in stewardship and giving and tithing, about 15 to 20% of the people give almost all the money, about 90% of it anyway. And when we look at these 10 who lack faith, we find some characteristics that are common to, to just about anyone who lacks faith. For instance, people who lack faith experience the same things as people with faith. All 12 saw the possibilities. All 12 saw the challenges. All 12 carried the fruit. They all acknowledge it's a land flowing with milk and honey. And they all acknowledge the obstacles as well. Very important principle here. Circumstances are not the primary cause of faith or lack of faith. In terms of stewardship or tithing, income has very little to do with generosity. In fact, people in poor circumstances tend to have more faith. We saw that last week. James talks about that as well. Some would argue that three of the greatest presidents of the United States were Washington, Lincoln, and FDR. And in between are a bunch of no-names. So on the quiz was, who is the 15th president? Anyone know? James Buchanan. Okay, I didn't know that until first service. (laughs) Someone told me. Part of the reason these three, Washington, Lincoln, and FDR, were considered great is because their times were the worst. Revolutionary War, Civil War, World War II. And we can resent the challenges or the circumstances we face, or we can see them as opportunities to trust God and move ahead in faith. Verse 27, they gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit. But the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. Keyword, but. There's a lot of fruit, but. How many dreams have been dashed by but? How many churches have been stymied by but? How many Christians have never stepped out of faith because of that word? People who lack faith quickly turn the conversation from positive to negative. Now, we need to see the challenges and be realistic about them and count the costs, but doubters are dominated by the challenges. They see them as walls to stop us rather than mountains to be climbed. Doubters take the possibilities and turn them into can'ts and shouldn'ts and, and won'ts. This budget of 2015 uh, that we're, we're uh, developing right now, we've had to make some changes. And uh, I'm a little surprised at myself. Usually I worry a lot about our church's finances, but this one just hasn't bothered me a lot because God has always provided. We can focus on the negative, but there's opportunities here as well. Now, notice in the text, they do talk about the positive very briefly. Yeah, there's fruit, but then they immediately go to the negative, and and then they expand upon it. They give all the details about these people. Verse 28, they're powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. Verse 29, the Amalekites live in the Negev. The Hittites, the Jebusites, Amorites live in the hill country. The Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. They're all over the place. And notice here, they don't give an itemized list of all the good of the land and the kinds of fruit and the produce of the land, but we do have an itemized list of all the ites in the land, all the enemies. People who lack faith build on a negative story to make it even worse. The butt gets worse. The negative story grows. The cloud's getting darker. 
And Satan's whispering in our ears, what if the car breaks down? What if the economy gets worse? What if the furnace goes out? But faith says, I'm glad I have a car. I'm amazed at this American economy. And the furnace has been going for 20 years. I'm so blessed. Verse 30, then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, we should go up and take possession of the land for we can certainly do it. But the men who'd gone up with him said, we can't attack those people. They're stronger than we are. People who lack faith reject the encouragement and faith of others. Caleb tries to inject some faith into the scenario. Come on, guys, we can do it. He sees the potential. Did it help? No. Their mind's already made up. Caleb says we should. The ten say we can't. Verse 32, and they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they'd explored. They said the land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are of great size. We saw the Nephilim there. The descendants of Anak come from the Nephilim. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we looked the same to them. Here's another thing. People who lack faith exaggerate and instill fear into others. They spread a bad report among the Israelites. The land devours those living in it. What? The land devour, the land actually open up and swallow some of them? We look like grasshoppers. I doubt it. They're exaggerating. The challenge has now become insurmountable, doom and gloom. And these 12 guys probably were the respected leaders of the tribe. That's why they were asked to go. They're the cream of the crop. And if the leaders are afraid, it affects everyone else. I love our elders. They just don't live in fear. They live by faith. I was listening to a speaker once said the number one factor for people being limited in reaching their potential is the leadership. More than any other factor, leaders of doubt will keep other people from living by faith. That's sobering. So be careful who you follow. People dominated by doubt will instill fear into you. 14, going on chapter 14. That night, all the members of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole assembly said to them, If only we died in Egypt or in this wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to fall by the sword? Our wives and children would be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, We should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. People who lack faith sin against God. They were going to stone Moses and Aaron. And it says all the people, all the Israelites, the whole assembly is infected by these ten guys. I was once told it takes seven people to get rid of a minister. Don't get any ideas. Um, and that's one reason I believe we should only have six elders or less. Just kidding. But here, it's just ten guys infect the whole nation. And God says because of this, not one, no one of this generation will see the promised land except Joshua and Caleb. Hebrews 11 says, by faith, Noah built the ark. By faith, Abraham moved to a new land. By faith, Moses was put in the basket in the Nile. By faith, the prophets dared and risked everything. How do you spell faith? R-I-S-K. The one common denominator of all great Christians is they take a risk. Great faith. Now, there's two ways this word faith is used in the Bible. One is the saving faith. You know, I trust Jesus for my salvation. I make him the boss of my life. The other is daily faith, my daily walk with God. Saving faith is about eternal life. Daily faith is about my earthly life. Saving faith leads to redemption. Daily faith leads to risk. Saving faith gives me assurance. Daily faith gives me audacity. Because of that assurance, we can take risk. 
The Bible also speaks of different degrees of faith. It speaks of people with little faith and much faith. It also says we can grow in our faith. So faith is like a muscle. It has to be developed and exercised. We have to stretch it and work it. So I want to suggest a few ways to build your faith, develop it. One is associate with people of faith. Some people just inspire you. They lift you up. Hang out with those kind of people. Romans 1.12 says that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. That's why we need the church. We build one another up to be around other people and get to know these people of faith. And their faith will rub off on you. So doubt is contagious, as we see in the text here. But faith is also contagious. Be careful who you're around and who you associate with. There's a guy who entered his donkey in the Kentucky Derby. I don't think this is a true story, by the way. And someone says, you can't do that. He can't run against those other horses. Those are the fastest thoroughbreds in the world. And the guy said, I don't expect my donkey to win, but I thought if he associated with thoroughbreds, it'd be good for him. Now, you may be a donkey when it comes to faith, or maybe even worse, but you can associate with the thoroughbreds. Ask someone to mentor you. Be around people of faith. Read the book of faith. I see this in my life. When the Bible is my friend, my faith grows. I see a direct correlation every time. When I ignore the Bible, my faith dwindles. When I read Hebrews 11, the Old Testament heroes who stepped out in faith, it, it just inspires and motivates me to be a little more daring and adventuresome. When I read over and over God's promises and faithfulness, it gives me confidence. So let the Bible, let the word penetrate your mind and your soul. Words like Psalm 23 says, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Surely, goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. Psalm 29, the Lord gives strength to his people. Psalm 32, you are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. So let this book be a resource for you. Read it daily. Remember the history of faith. When God wanted to keep Israel strong in faith, he would say, remember what I did? You remember back, back in Egypt and Sinai and in the wilderness? All through the Old Testament, it would, kind of, it would harken back. You know, remember how I delivered you with a mighty hand and how I cared for you and sustained you. When Goliath challenged the Israelites, David said, I'll go. Saul, who lacked faith, said, you can't go, you're just a boy. And David said, well, I slew a lion and I slew a bear. I can slay this bozo. Yeah, look what God has done in the past. He will do it again. Look at the history of this church, Mount Pulaski Christian Church. Has God ever failed? This church has been around, I don't know, about 140 years, something like that. Has it ever been shut down because of finances? I don't think so. Has anyone in the history of this church ever starved to death? Now, maybe the piano didn't get tuned, but uh, we've made it. God's provided. You remember when we built that sanctuary back in the 70s? A few of you might remember that. I'll guarantee you, though, there were naysayers. Oh, it's too much. It's too big, and we can't do it. It got paid off. Same thing, Family Life Center. We can't do it, you know, uh, we, but we've not gone bankrupt. Psalm 37, 25 says, I was young. And now I'm old, yet I have never seen the righteous forsaken or their children begging bread. History is a great source of faith. And of course, that's the God of faith. A man came to Jesus and said, I do believe. Help my unbelief. And I identify with him. I, I believe, but my faith wavers. Ask God to help your unbelief. James says the reason we don't receive is we don't ask. So ask for faith. When we spend time with God, Faith grows. When we're with him, we get a new perspective. Your values and your priorities change. The mountains don't look nearly as ominous. And you just see through a whole different paradigm.
You cannot associate with God and be made, not be made bolder. Jesus was amazed only twice. Once, because those who lacked faith, and once with those who showed great faith. Ten were bad and two were good. Join the minority. Live by faith, not fear. Let's pray. Lord, you know the challenges before us. In every one of our lives, we have challenges. And you also know the possibilities. So help us to see what kind of a God you are and who you are, your power and your wisdom, because that will help our faith. Help us to encourage one another and build one another up. Let us draw strength from your word. I pray, Lord, as we are considering our commitment to you, that we will be wise, but we'll also be daring. Lord, you own the cattle on a thousand hills. You've promised to provide. You are our shelter and rock. So help us, whatever our circumstances, to live by faith in you. It's in Jesus we pray.